I've mentioned a few times over the years some of my experiences when I first moved away from home. I went to school. I might have mentioned this a way back, but I know I've mentioned this. I was a pretty passionate uh, young student. And by passionate, I meant I cared very deeply about a lot of things. And when I thought something was important, I would try and do it with everything that I had. Um, I used to not, you know, you know, Nike's slogan, just do it. I was like, just do it. What's that? I was like, do it all the way. <laughs> That's how I thought. And I think there's some value to that. So whenever something was important to me, I would just dive in. Um, and one thing that was very important to me, one thing that I prayed about a lot, that I cared a lot about, was the campus that I was part of. And what I would do is I would pray, and I really wanted to see God's presence more and more on the campus. If you're coming from a Christian background, sometimes this is called renewal or revival, but it's where the Spirit of God comes in ways that sort of change a lot of people's lives in a short period of time. And that's what I was praying for. And I'd read books about how it had happened at other uh, campuses, and I wanted it to happen where I was going to school. And so it's not exaggerating to say that my freshman year, I prayed five nights a week with a friend for renewal or revival to come to the campus that I was a part of. I planned events over my four years to try and, I was just hoping if we get enough people in the same room praying or worshiping, that something big would happen and spread all over the campus. I led groups uh, that were at least in part to help inspire people in their faith, and I was hoping that would help lead in this. I read books about other renewals. Um, I sang my heart out in worship. Anytime there was a, a worship service, any song that had anything to do with someone besides myself, those were the songs that I just, like, put my whole heart and soul into praying and singing. I remember I was at one conference once, and uh, I, this was my theory. I mentioned this before in church, that there was more of the Holy Spirit at the front of the church than the back. So I always sat in the front row, uh, and I wanted it to be as loud as possible, too. So in the settings I was in, um, uh, that meant you had to be as close as possible. Uh, and so I remember I was at this one conference, and um, the first song was one of those outward-focused songs. Um, and the first chord uh, was played, and I just remember I just started weeping. I just wanted to see the presence of God come where I was. I wanted to see people's lives change. I wept so hard and so long that I've heard recordings of that worship service, and there's like one really embarrassingly loud person moaning and groaning and weeping. It's me. I've heard it. I was like, wow, that was me. I lost a contact out of one of my eyes. It, I looked like someone might have like punched me because, you know, I was wiping tears and, you know, I was a little swollen. And, and I will say that at the end of my four years, when I graduated, I had not seen a renewal or a revival. Uh, there was no notable big moment of God working. And honestly, I felt very let down. And I thought to myself, what was all of that about? Is that what faith is about? Was one of the questions I asked myself. You know, putting it, sort of everything you have out on the line, believing with all of your heart, and then just sort of hanging there. That's what I felt like. And I think that's a, that's, that's a fair and a good question to ask. 
You know, faith is something you're exploring. Is this <laughs> what you have to look forward to if you pursue it more specifically? Or what if you've put yourself out there and you've been praying for something, you don't see any of the results you've been praying for, maybe you're thinking, this can't be the way it's supposed to be. And if this, is this how faith is supposed to work, is a good question. So today we're going to look at how to build what I'm calling an inspiring life of faith. By looking at how Jesus responds to faith, how to live a life of faith that's powerful, rooted, and doesn't disappoint and even inspires. Uh, Because I don't think my experience there was the whole story in that short period of time, which felt very long to me. Sound interesting? All right, let's read. This is the passage. It's from John chapter 4. It's uh, 11 verses, 43 to 54. After two days, he left for Galilee. He is Jesus. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, that's his home country, the Galileans welcomed him. And they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem and the Passover festival, for they'd also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he acquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. And this was the second sign Jesus performed after coming to Judea, from Judea to Galilee. So, where do we start? I think uh, this passage can be particularly helpful to us, because most of the people in this story or who are involved, I think, are similar to most of us. So Jesus just came from this town called Sychar uh, in a region called Samaria, and that's not where he grew up. So he's a new person to Samaritans, and they end up responding very well to him, and his message spreads very quickly. In fact, it goes so well, they ask him to please stay a few extra days, and he does. So there's a bit of a revival there while he's in town, so he Uh, stays a couple extra days, but when he comes to Galilee, it's a different story. And and by this, I mean, people already know him. He's not anything new to people in Galilee. They knew him as a child, and they're skeptical. At the beginning of his ministry, uh, the people in his own hometown get so angry with Jesus that they actually try to throw him off of a cliff. That's how angry they get. So John, you notice, remarks uh, in this passage that a prophet has no honor in his home country. It's tough when people know where you came from sometimes to see you in new lights. So this is why I actually say that these folks are a lot like us, particularly here in Philly. Here's what I mean. I think most of us, not everyone, but most of us are pretty used to the story of Jesus. 
Uh, if we didn't grow up in church, the church was pretty much all around if you grew up in Philly. And we probably think we know just about everything there is to know about Jesus and Christianity. Even if we didn't go to church, we're pretty familiar with a lot of the big ideas or the big stories. And quite frankly, to us, it can seem like old news. Jesus was old news to the Galileans. So when he first comes on the scene, they are very reluctant to think of him as anything other than a carpenter or Mary's boy or that kid they saw grow up. And suggesting that he's something else really rubs them the wrong way. And that's what we've seen to this point in the story. So if you're like me, at this point in the story, I start to expect more negative confrontations between Jesus and the Galileans, the people he grew up with. But something else happens. It says, when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. So when Jesus comes back to Galilee, there's been a change from the first time that he started preaching and teaching in Galilee, to say the least. And John, I think, gives us, the author John gives us a heads up so that we don't miss something significant here. And he does that when he says this. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. So the Galileans, the ones that tried to throw him off a cliff earlier, had been watching Jesus. They saw what he did. They saw more of what he said. They saw how he interacted with people. They saw that he stood up for people who were considered poor. They started to think that there might be more to him than they assumed. So this time, they're a little bit more friendly to Jesus. And I think it's fair to say that they've been gathering information on Jesus, and we can learn from them, especially if we think we've kind of got Christianity pegged or figured out. Or if we think we have Jesus pegged or figured out. So one thing that's important to developing or building a faith that's inspiring, that will inspire you, that can inspire the people around you, that will carry you through difficult times, is something that is simple, but it's this, gather information. The Galileans are basically doing research. They're thinking through again who Jesus is. And this is where faith often begins. It often begins actually with serious thought. You know, sometimes I think we assume that developing faith starts with turning your brain off. But actually, nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe you've heard this Bible verse. It's in a lot of songs. Um, so if you've been around the church, you may have heard it or sung it. It's this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now that could be like, oh yeah, turn your brain off. Don't lean on your own understanding. But you have to have some sort of understanding <laughs> to move beyond it or to understand more. Psalm 42 says this, Why, my soul, are you downcast? And I think often we tend to think of faith as trusting your heart. But here we see that that isn't the case at all. The author's soul is downcast And so the psalmist, the author, questions his heart. He doesn't trust it. And faith sometimes is talking to your heart, reasoning with your heart. And faith often begins with understanding, understanding that is arrived at by and through reason. Thinking 
considering, watching, gathering information. I think John here wants us to notice that the Galileans, those who were set up to dismiss Jesus, to not accept him, are thinking things through. They don't just stop with their preconceived notions. They're watching Jesus, and their opinion is changing. Dramatically. And I think, and I'd like to suggest that this is what West Philadelphia and the city of Philadelphia need from us. This is what we can do as a community. You know, West Philly and the whole city is filled mostly with people who think they know Jesus and the faith that surrounds him. And most of them are just over it. You know, for some it seems like Christianity or faith in Jesus is something from the past, that it's outmoded. They're sort of post-Christian, right? For some folks it seems like something hateful based on what they've seen on TV and Facebook. And they don't want to become anything like that. In any case, I think a lot of our friends and our neighbors think they get Christianity and they're not interested. And I really think that, that those folks, our friends, need to be able to watch Jesus and gather information on him. They think they know it. We all think we know it. But our opportunity is to continue to gather information, continue to watch, continue to learn. And you know who they can watch. You know where this is going, right? You and me. We are it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) But that's it. You know, people are watching TV. They're seeing examples of what it means to follow Jesus that aren't attracted to anyone in this room all the time. They need to see something else. That forms a preconceived notion. Some people have had bad experiences. A lot of us in this room have had negative experiences. But we've had other experiences. That's probably why you're still here. You've experienced Jesus in a different way. You've seen people live out their faith and follow Jesus in a different way, in some way that inspired you. So you're sitting here. Some of you don't even know why you're sitting here, but you are. In Faith Reimagined, last week, we had our opening meeting, and people were talking about their backgrounds. Everybody's talking, unfortunately, about some of the negative experiences that they've had, but they're still in the room. You're still in the room. And I think part of it is because you've had a real encounter with Jesus along the way. But part of it is also because you've seen something different. You've gathered information that's actually attractive to you, that's been life-changing to you, that has inspired you in some way. You know someone. You've seen something in their lives. You've experienced something along the way. Let me ask you, in your life, who is it that you have gathered positive information about Jesus just by watching their lives? What did you see that inspired your life of faith or that made you curious enough to join us today? When I was a young punk student, I had uh, a mentor while I was studying who was a worship leader. And one thing I noticed about him is he really just connected to a real God with a guitar strapped to his back. So what did I do? I started borrowing my friend's guitars. And 
playing on them really, really loudly and breaking strings and giving it back to him saying, sorry. And that was it. I didn't get him any new strings. That's who I was. But I was very passionate, and I wanted to connect with God in similar ways. So I, I taught myself how to play guitar so that I could do that on my own in my own room. And eventually, I did get a lot of those people replacement strings. You know, I, I have friends that I hear the stories that grew up in small hippie church and learned about caring for people with less resources that has shaped the way they've lived the rest of their lives. And they saw it in the pastor who would always pick up hitchhikers. Anybody who was poor, who needed a dollar, who needed a meal, he would provide it or find someone in the church who could. It impacts people when they see things like this. What about you? What have you seen? What information have you gathered that's got you in this room today? And this is the opportunity that we have every day. We have a barbecue on the corner here in the park this summer. We interact with people. We have neighbors. We have coworkers. It's all information grabbing time. Opportunities to show a little bit of what's good in the world, what's true about Jesus. Even as we make mistakes and we handle them with humility, hopefully, that's different. And our goal as, as a community here is simply just to be the best friends that we can be to our neighbors in the city. And if we can do that, there'll be lots of information to gather. So gathering information, thinking, considering is often the first step to developing a faith worth having. But where do we go from there? So Jesus, I don't know if you noticed it, he has one moment of preaching in this passage. And I think, personally, it can be a little confusing. So it's kind of fun, I think, if we take a moment here to look at it, and I think it can help us actually learn something about how to build up this faith that inspires others and ourselves. He says this, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Did he just you people us? (laughs) Do you notice that? Unless you people. Now, when you read it, I think it sounds like Jesus is scolding his listeners just a little bit, right? Ah, you need to see a sign. Give me a break. Get out of my face, right? It's as if he doesn't want to do any miracles or any signs and that he's frustrated by the people who need them. You people. Yet, before we settle on that interpretation, what does he do? He performs a sign, And John seems very happy to report that this was the second sign that Jesus performed. So Jesus does a miracle, performs a healing. So is Jesus really scolding people around him, or is he just sort of, matter of fact, making a statement, people need to see signs? I actually think it's a little bit of both. So people need to see God at work. It does build faith. It helps to create it. So he performs this sign, and he heals the man's son, And based on the rest of the story of Jesus, he does a lot of miracles. Uh, And I would say it even seems like he enjoys helping people. And then he wasn't begrudging about miracles or helping people at all. He likes to help people. But what he doesn't like is having to prove himself. People don't need proof. 
even when they think they do. And so if proof is the reason that they want to see a sign, he's not interested. Matthew writes another story of the life of Jesus. It's in the Christian scriptures. And he quotes Jesus saying this, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So some people aren't watching Jesus to understand. They're watching to judge him. Will he do what I demand that he do to prove he is who he says he is to me? And to those people, Jesus answers, no, I won't dance for you. But if you have a real need, I'm more than happy to help. So my point here is this. If you're looking to develop the faith in your life to something that's sustaining, something that's worthwhile, something that's connected to humility, something that you would want, something that's vibrant, something that's inspiring, ask for help, not proof. Ask for help, not proof. Where do you need help in your life? Invite God into that place. That's where the power is. That's where Jesus comes alive. That's where he's interested in being involved in your life. But he's not really interested in proving himself to you. He wants to help you. And see, proof is actually the absence of faith. And it can end in pride. Oh, I'm glad I figured this out. You know, actually, I have a really good friend. And back in my student days, when I was praying for all those renewal and revival things to happen, this guy was actually my right-hand dude because I was leading some ministries. Great guy. Um, But I remember during those college years, uh, he sort of went from being this person of faith that people look to about faith to totally deconverting, pitching his faith, not being uh, considering himself a follower of Jesus or having faith in him. And part of the reason, there's a big story there. It's really interesting. There's a lot of facets. But one of the things about it I remember him sharing with me is we were sitting down, we were having lunch, and I remember him telling me, you know, Brad, I always thought that I could prove the Christian faith to anyone who wanted to see it. And if people just knew what I knew, they'd have to believe. And he even admitted to me that he started to look down on other people who didn't share his faith, who did know what he knew. And he realized one day that he couldn't prove everything and and also that he didn't like the person that he was becoming. And so for this reason and a lot of others, not just this, he dropped the whole thing. He's like, I don't want to be that kind of person. But what if faith, faith does not demand proof What if proof is the absence of faith? What if it actually does better and it's a healthier thing, faith that is, in the absence of hard proof? When you have to trust. When there's uncertainty. Faith, I think, is born out of need and leads to love. Because we experience the care of someone that we trusted. I think what happens here is the royal official comes to Jesus not with a test, but with a real need. He's not trying to figure out uh, and make Jesus prove to him anything about who he is. He's coming because he's worried about his son. 
Jesus is happy to help, to meet him where he is, and even perform a sign, which he does. So God isn't interested in meeting our demands. He's very interested, though, in loving us and meeting us in our place of need. And this is where faith grows. Where can it lead? We notice Jesus says, go, your son will live. And then it says, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. Pretty bold, trusting, faith-filled kind of move to make. He took him at his word and left. Now that's a pretty amazing amount of trust. And seeing this reminds me of something I don't expect any of you to know, and I probably only know because I had to take classes. <laughs> oh, when I was a young man. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Um, I will stop right there. But I'm tempted to go on. You know, if you know me, you know I just want to sing like five or six improvised verses right there. So let me distract myself. Focus, focus. So, where were we? Um, so this takes a lot of faith. This, this guy is, is making a bold move here. And it reminds me of something I don't expect you to know, um, but I only know these terms because I went to seminary. So if you want to press your friends, I'll throw them out to you. You can forget the terms if you want, but if you want to write them down and be cool, I don't know if it really makes you cool, but if you feel cool, go ahead. But um, there's this classic idea that was put forth by Martin Luther and others uh, that champion this idea that faith often consists of three aspects. And these are crazy Latin terms. I'm only throwing them out there for fun. One is notitia. Ooh. Yeah, right? What? Notitia. That is a Latin way to say information or knowledge. So this is what we've seen here. We've seen the Galileans gathering information, gathering knowledge, putting time and thought into this. Uh, the second thing that comes with that and follows often notitia is a census which is assent. Does that make sense? It's belief. It's assurance in one's heart that something is true. So the official approaching Jesus and asking for help, this is a census. This is a belief that Jesus can actually help him. All right? And then three is fiducia. Fiducia is a fancy Latin way to say trust. Trust that shows itself through commitment. And so when a man trusts Jesus and turns and walks away, takes him at his word, that's fiducia. That's trust through commitment. And I think this is where we're trying to land. Commitment isn't a fancy, fun word all the time, but it can be so important in our lives. And what we're trying to do is develop a committed approach to faith. Now, and even in this commitment, let me just say, it doesn't mean that's when finally I get to turn my brain off and just trust my heart. Uh, I've made this decision so I don't have to understand anymore. I believe it. That settles it. No. No, no, that doesn't work or lead to a healthy life of faith. I read it, I believe it, that settles it. Very flawed. Not what we see in the lives of people who follow Jesus uh, in the Bible. That settles it means I don't have to engage anymore. I don't have to ask Jesus about it anymore. And that kind of approach sometimes can lead to, I figured it out, (laughs) which leads to pride. We don't want that. We want something different. So you notice it says here, but even, you notice um, that in this commitment, it doesn't mean turning your brain off. It doesn't mean it's settled. I made this decision. I don't need to understand anymore. 
Now it's true. And that's it for me. There are still some things you may not understand. And I don't completely understand why I never saw revival at my school, for example. And for a good while, to be honest, it really affected my faith. And I asked questions like, does prayer really make much of a difference? This is the hardest I ever prayed for anything. Or is my life any different because of my faith than anyone else's? It doesn't seem that my prayers are changing anything. These are things I was thinking. It's here that notitia, or seeking and gathering information and knowledge, even when it seems that things aren't going the way that I hoped, is powerful for deepening and strengthening faith. Notice that the official, when he hears that his son has been healed, is excited, but it doesn't stop there. It's not finished. It says that then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. He realized. He stopped and thought about it. He reasoned through the experience. He kept going with notitia or gathering understanding. And he discovered God at work. And this feeds back into his life of faith. So it continues, so he and his whole household believed. So now he has a faith that's connected to experience, but continues to pursue understanding, and it's inspiring, and the people around him start to pick up on it. So he already believed, but now a circle of notitia, census, fiducia, begins again, and he believes in a different, deeper way. His faith is growing, deepening. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, as you gather your information, well, that's great for the official, Brad. His son was healed. Of course his faith deepened. His prayers were answered in a very distinct, powerful way. What about your prayer for revival that you didn't see answered? Or the other big prayers that all of us have in our lives that we're either waiting for or seem not to be answered? And I would say this, there is always an element of mystery in the life of faith with Jesus. And I said earlier that following Jesus is never about absolute proof. And we can't use this story like a formula to test whether Jesus is real or prove the power of prayer. And Jesus himself taught that the kingdom of God is both here, right now, already, but also on its way, not here yet. This is a story of obvious already. We all do have stories like this where it's obvious that God's at work, but we can learn from the official in this story that even if we feel like we're, not in, a, we're in a major not yet stage of our lives, to do what he did, we can do that too. So in the middle of his situation, he stops, he reviews what's happening, he looks for God in the middle of it, and he finds him there. And it was easy for him to see this because of the miracle. But if you can't see a miracle... You may have to look a little harder and pay a little more attention. But what you'll find is there's always some already mixed in somewhere with the not yet situations of your life. I wasn't very good at this in my school days. Um, I wasn't very nuanced in much of my thinking about many things. But I have to confess that I feel like God, through that experience, helped me with this a little bit. The first thing I did was blame myself. I thought I had done something wrong. I must not have prayed hard enough. Um, But then from time to time, after that period of my life was over, I would get a note in the mail. 
where out of the blue, someone sent me an email. Students, other students that I had known, sending me notes to say how much they appreciated how I'd helped them in their spiritual journeys at school. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember um, one guy noticed that I was going to be in Los Angeles. And this was a guy that as I looked back on my life, I just had so many regrets about how I had uh, connected with and interacted with this guy. I was a small group leader, came to me with big problems. I never felt like I was able to help him at all. In fact, I thought some of my advice was really terrible. <laughs> I just have a good feeling. I was like, oh, this guy wants to get lunch? So I'm like kind of just prepared. Actually, I worked out in my head this apology that I was going to share with him and, and sort of apologize because I felt like I'd grown some since those days and wish I had handled things differently. And so we sent down to lunch. And uh, interestingly enough, real early on, like just after, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, tell me about your family and stuff like that. Uh, he said he wanted to get lunch with me because uh, he, how much I had impacted his life for the better. And he wanted to thank me. I was like, in my head, I'm like, what? I couldn't see any of that. And you know, I will say that sometimes, even you'll look really hard, and you don't have to make it work. In fake finding God in a terrible situation, sometimes, you know what, a situation's terrible, and it's hard to even imagine how God could bring good out of it. But the hope that we have when we're in those situations is someday at some point, there'll be redemption to those negative experiences that you've had. And you'll see how God turned it on its ear. But you don't have to, I'm not saying make it Jesus fit somewhere that he doesn't. But I am saying it can be helpful, even in the midst of a difficult situation, to look. Because sometimes you will see God at work. You know, I'd been praying for renewal in the lives of students. Looking for one big thing. That big thing didn't happen. But I didn't see what God was doing in the lives of the people around me because I was only looking for that one thing. You know, it sounds risky to look for how God is at work in your life when it seems like your prayers aren't being answered, but it's essential to building a deep faith that can withstand the most difficult things in life. A faith that not only works when everything goes your way, because that kind of faith isn't worth very much, because things don't always go your way. And they didn't for Jesus. But God is always working. That's the hope. So where has God been working in your life? And maybe just now, let's take a moment and reflect. Recognize something. It can be small, if that's all you can recognize. You know... um, a classic refrain in churches all over the world is, thank you, God, that I woke up this morning. Because for a lot of people, that's the only good they can see in different seasons. So if it really feels that bad, thank God you're alive and here today. We can thank him for that. but maybe there's a little bit more too. 
what is one area of need that you've seen God meet you in, in your life? The more recent, the better, but even if you have to go back a little bit, let's start there. And before we move into a time of musical reflection and prayer, fill in the blank here. God, thank you for meeting this need in my life blank. What is it? Let me give you just a second. Let's pray. God, we don't have things all figured out. I don't have things all figured out. Things are very imperfect in all of our lives. Sometimes we see miracles. And sometimes we're waiting and we're looking. God, would you show us today some way you're involved in our lives, caring for us, in our weakness, in the weaknesses of the people around us. We thank you for that. Amen. All right. Well, before we move into the time of musical worship, we always like to leave space uh, for the Holy Spirit to engage us personally. And one of the ways that happens is our prayer team prays before the service.